from the Thinking Out Loud studios, it's the Thinking Out Loud podcast with Kevin and Kyle, the podcast that exists to help you navigate the culture of today from a biblical perspective and to help you grow in your relationship with God. God has commissioned and called you to be a light in this culture. The only way you can do that is to know the truth. No matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what season of life that you're in, if you truly want to find success in that season, you're going to have to go back to the simple question of what does God say about me in this moment? There's no shortage of information in this culture, but there is a shortage of truth. Welcome back to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. My name is Kevin Wilson. And I am Kyle Wenzel. And we're excited to have you back for another week of the show. And we're excited because we do have a special guest today. And, you know, I know sometimes we have some funny banter before we start, but today we want to just get right into this episode. And so I want to just introduce our guest for today. It's Randy Alcorn. Many of you know him. Many of you read his books. He's the founder and director of Eternal Perspectives Ministry, which is a nonprofit organization. They literally exist to meet the needs of the unreached, the unfed, the unborn, uneducated, unreconciled, and unsupported people around the world. One of the best taglines I've seen for any ministry, because that's exactly what we as Christians should be doing. He's a New York Times bestseller. He has written over 50 books, including Courageous, the wildly popular book, Heaven, The Treasure Principle, so many other books. His books, he sold over 11 million copies of his books. He's also, now this is, I love this, Eternal Perspective Ministries has given over $11 million in royalties from his books to other ministries just to keep the work of God going in the earth, which is just awesome. He's also completed his BA in theology from Multnomah Bible College. Also, he has an MA in biblical studies from Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. He also holds an honorary doctorate of divinity from Western Seminary. And Randy Alcorn joins us now. Thanks, Randy, for coming on the Thinking Out Loud podcast. You bet. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so we wanted to talk a little today on the just the subject of evil in the world. And how we grapple with that is Christians. I know a lot of people, especially atheists, you know, they will say things like, well, I just, I just don't believe in God. And I've always been under the, the thought that there's no such thing as real atheists in the world, mostly. There might be some, but I think most of them are not. I think that a lot of times something has happened in their lives and they look at it and they say, well, you know, this person that's supposed to be God, all-knowing, all-powerful, he dropped the ball here in my life in some aspect. And so then they say, well, there can't be a God, because if there was one, he would have done something about this. And I've always said, you know, it's kind of like a people who have a dad who is maybe not in their life or wasn't the greatest dad, you know. It's kind of silly to say, well, my dad doesn't exist because at some point you had to get here from somebody. Um, And so, uh, you know, we could talk about how the character of your dad, you know, but let's not go to the point to say that you don't have a father because you certainly do. Right. And so when I look at this, a lot of Christians grapple with this, like we say, and non-Christians grapple with this. And if all, if God is good, he's all powerful. Why the natural disasters? Why the, the unrest? Why are there rapists in the world? Why? I mean, all the bad things, right? And so I guess my first question for you, Randy, is truly, if God is good, how did we get to the place that we, we see we are today? Like, wh- where does this begin? Where does this issue of evil and all of that happen? Yeah, it's a great question and really the most fundamental question that we can address, anyone can address, no matter what your worldview is. Again, if you're an atheist, if you're an agnostic, if you're Hindu, if you're Buddhist, if you're Muslim, if you're Jewish, if you're Christian, you got to address that question. And there's no easy answer to the question. And and I'll just kind of jump ahead a little bit to say that there's only one answer that's bigger than this question, and, and that's Jesus. 
because he chose to take upon himself the evil and suffering that was the consequence of this life under the curse to deliver us from the curse to truly it's not a fairy tale make it so that we if we place our faith in him will live happily ever after and one day we will uh, those of us who know him we will in heaven and on the new earth after the resurrection we will look back at the sufferings of this life and we will see what sometimes we just didn't see just couldn't see because we're finite and fallen right. now there's nothing wrong with being finite but it is limiting obviously by its very nature but we're fallen and there is something wrong about being fallen and what that means is we just can't grasp god's ways are above our ways as far as the heavens are above the earth so far his ways above our ways his thoughts above our thoughts isaiah 55 so i think that preface is necessary because if we just jump in and start saying, oh, here's the problem of evil and suffering, this is how it works, and here's the answer to it. Well, to the person whose five-year-old has just been diagnosed with leukemia, to the person like myself, whose wife is in stage four cancer, you just, you can't, or the person whose children are hungry in another part of the world, and there's no fresh water, and the these problems are insurmountable, humanly speaking. Fortunately, there is a God who is not remote from these problems, who looks at them, and the incarnation is his decision to become forever one of our race, the human race, and to make it all right in the end. Mm -hmm. But here's the big problem with this problem of suffering evil is that there's a beginning to the story. There's an end to the story. Now I've written a number of novels and there's the beginning, there's the end and there's the middle. Well, the beginning often is, Hey, things are not always anymore, especially, but if things are going well, and then you just know something terrible is going to happen, right? <laughs> because you, for the story to work, there's got to be conflict. There's got to be problems. And then you hope that at the end of the story, there's a resolution, there's a climax where maybe the big problem is overcome, or at least to a degree is overcome. Our problem is we live in the middle of the story. We, we live in the, the, the pain and suffering part of the story. So I'll, I'll just stop there for now, and you can ask more questions and we can talk further. But I, I just want to preface it with that, because if we don't, we're going to look at this. You can't just take an academic approach to this. This is personal. This is horrific in the lives of so many suffering people. And I think we, we all understand that and should make it clear we do understand that. We're not going to give simplistic answers to this question. Right. Yeah. And I think those are really good points to make because we do. I mean, we have so many different people who listen to the show and they're in all different walks of life, right? So they could be a Christian, a non-Christian, somebody who's seeking, whatever the case. But I think these are really important questions to answer. And I think that, you know, as Christians, sometimes we don't even want to admit that we we question things, right? I mean, it's not just the atheist. It's not just those that are agnostic. You know, as a Christian, sometimes we go, man, you know what? I really trust you, God. But I've got questions. I, I've got, I, you know, God, I, I know what you said in your word, but I'm sitting here literally looking at my child that didn't make it or, or, or my spouse or whoever, you know, or a horrific car crash, whatever it is. We, we see that. And sometimes we don't want to say it with our outside voice, but we have these questions. And these questions we have to know as Christians, are, it's okay to have these questions. God is not going to fall off of his throne because his finite humanity that he created doesn't understand completely why. And so I think, you know, books like this book that you wrote, If God is Good, is so helpful for Christians to read because as you go through scripture and as you see and understand the nature of God, you understand that God, even through all of the bad things that we see, he's still good. He's still faithful. He's, he's a redeemer. That's what he does best is he redeems. And so talk a little bit, I guess, Randy, about the Garden of Eden and how that play, because 
every time I look at evil in the world, I go back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, that this is where it started. Like it, you know, God, when he set up the world, everything was perfect. It wasn't like he set it up to be this way, right? So right. talk to us a little bit about that and, and that the origins of evil. And maybe, I mean, you might want to go all the way back to the fall of Satan and the angels, but talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's, a, that's a great way to set up the question because Eden is the picture of what God intends for the human experience on planet Earth to be mm-hmm. perfect. No sin, no death, no suffering, beauty, perfection, all is wet. And then one day there will be the new earth, which will be like Eden times 10,000. It will be a redeemed earth that has fallen and through redemption will be a far greater earth than Eden ever was. And you actually see that in Revelation 21 where and 22, where you see this uh, great river coming down from the new Jerusalem, and on both sides of it grew the tree of life. Well, both sides of a great river, this is now a forest of life. I mean, yeah. it's not, I mean, maybe those trees are all connected and you could call them one tree, but There was one tree, the tree of life in Eden, but this is a forest of life. And the redemptive work of Christ will make this new creation so much greater and so much deeper. But going back then to that original creation, you know, how and why? How did evil come into the world? And honestly, I don't know that any of us can fully answer the question other than to say, which is usually said, and I think it's correct is that God decided to not make us robots, uh, to give us genuine, free choice. Mm. Now, he's a God of providence, he's a God of sovereignty, and so he doesn't force us to make certain choices, but he sovereignly guides in such a way that results in our choosing as we do, given our inclination to do what we want to do. Now, he could have kept the serpent out of the garden. He could have made it so that Adam and Eve were wired to never be tempted. And a lot of people would say, that's what he should have done. That's what an all-good God who is all-knowing and he's in control, he's all-powerful, that's what he should have done, and that would have eliminated all the suffering and evil in the world. Well, he could have done that. He chose not to do that. But I would just challenge anyone If you were writing the story, the great story of the human race and human history and all of that, if you were writing the story, what would you have done? Well, just don't give them choice at all or or make sure that they never exercise the wrong choice, which is to give them no choice. If you're making sure they don't exercise the wrong choice and they don't have the freedom to choose. And is that really what you want? I mean, do you want to live in a world of robotics and uh, Stepford Wives and, you know, where it's just, this is just, you're programmed mm-hmm. to never do bad and only to do good. Mm-hmm. And would that have been the life we love? I mean, don't, don't most of us value freedom of choice? Mm-hmm. Well, we value it, it seems like, and we talk about it all the time and how important it is until it comes to the question of evil and suffering, where we then say, God shouldn't have allowed this to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you can't have it both ways. That's right. It is part of the human nature. We're created in the image of God. God is one who makes choices. Um, our choices are not fully free. We're, we're limited to a certain degree. Like I can say, well, yeah, I got freedom to choose, so I'm going to fly off the rooftops. And you go, well, only if you can fly. You don't mm-hmm. have that capacity, so you're going to drop to the ground. And so, but yes, we can choose to jump off the roof. We can choose to make all kinds of decisions. God gave that choice. He respected that choice in the sense that he let it take its consequences. So somehow he gives us freedom of choice. Somehow Adam and Eve, through the influence of of Satan, through deception, they end up making the wrong choice. And he had said, in the day you sin, you shall surely die. And death began. 
death began. Now you say, well, well, they didn't drop dead immediately. No, they didn't. But the process of death and destruction began. Mm-hmm. The world yep. fell under a curse. They were evicted from Eden. They go out into a cold, hard, harsh world. Pretty soon you've got Cain killing Abel. You've got rampant evil. You've got God sending the flood. And it's like, what happened to Eden? And it's such a dramatic part of the storyline. And, you know, even though a lot of us would say we, we don't want the story because we don't want the evil and suffering, how would our story have turned out? Would this be a story that people forever celebrate? Would we have ever even seen the grace of God? Would Jesus have ever become a man? Well, I mean, mm-hmm. why would he? Mm-hmm. You know, he. Mm-hmm. So the beautiful aspect of the incarnation itself, the, the, the priceless, redemptive work of the Son of God on our behalf to make us new creations in Christ. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. All things have become new. We are in the already and not yet. He's already done this, but we have not yet seen the ultimate outbreaking of total and final worldwide goodness. We have not seen what we're promised in Second Peter 3.13. Therefore, we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Yeah. Yeah. Righteousness and, and new heavens, new earth. And just like we're going to have new bodies in the resurrection, what will our new bodies be? They'll be our old bodies that died, made new. Well, yes. what will the new earth be? The new earth will be the old earth that died, destruction, made new, and we'll live on it forever and enjoy life as God intended. Now, which is the more compelling story? The one that didn't have any evil and suffering in it or the one that did, but that evil and suffering was overcome by the blood of the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, and we will celebrate forever and worship him. And we will have great feasts and all will be well. And he says, I will wipe away the tears from every eye. No more death, no more suffering, no more pain, no more curse. Yeah. Which is the better story? I think the one God chose is better than the one we will have chosen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think sometimes uh, about that. And I think about our choice of free will. And you talked about people you know, if God would have did the story differently, we'd be robots. And I've always said we wouldn't understand love, right? So the love for our wives, our children, or any of that would not exist. We wouldn't even understand what true deep love is if we didn't have free will. I mean, mm-hmm. what what wife wants to be married to a husband that is forced to love her, right? It's just, you're a robot, so of course you love me. Well, no. You know, you the, the cool thing about dating and then getting married and all of that is, wow, that person coming down the aisle actually chose me to chose to love me out of all of the other people. They chose to commit their life to me. Right. That and we wouldn't experience that because otherwise it, we'd just be forced. Right. And so I, I think that you make such, such good points there. And I would say then, so why would you say, and I know you talk about this in in, in chapter one of your book, but why is the problem of evil and suffering so important? Well, it's because it's, it's the inevitable, inescapable issue, and we know it's wrong. We know that something is terribly wrong. And it's not only people who know. And Romans 8 talks about the groaning of the whole creation. It's not just we who groan. Mm-hmm. But the whole creation grows. Well, who besides human beings suffer? I think the, the obvious answer is animal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you've seen, we went through an experience, we've gone through three experiences in the last 30 years of beloved family pets, dogs dying. And when our dog, Maggie, suddenly got sick and, and died at nine years old, and our previous two dogs had died at 15, so they they in dog years they lived a, a good full you know old life, but Maggie didn't, and she was so full of life. And then she and to look into her eyes to see her pain and suffering, I, I saw in that the whole creation groans. Mm. My dog knew this wasn't the way it was supposed. 
supposed to be. Yeah. She just did. Yeah. Um, and we all know this. We, we, we see the suffering in the world, the tragedies. I got a letter yesterday from somebody who told me, somebody I know and trust, and I know what they're saying is true. But what has happened in her life in the last year has been unbelievable. The number of family and friends that have died, some of them tragically, multiple people, Mm. very close to her. And just how overwhelming it is. But then she says, but the grace of God is there and so real. And I know he's on the throne and I'm trusting him. And by the way, you know, you were saying the whole thing about would we have known love? Well, think about grace. Okay. You could say maybe in the garden that Adam and Eve could sense the love of God, the care for them. Look at this beautiful garden and look at the gifts and, and look at the bodies he gave them and look at the, the world and the animals and the beauty of it and all that. Well, you could feel like, yeah, he has affection toward me and he loves me. And look, he's given this to me, but, but not the depths of love that involve grace. Because the doctrine of grace would simply be unknown. I mean, God would still be full of grace. Sure. But how would we see it? Grace is more than unmerited favor. It's when you merit damnation. And, mm-hmm. and then he gives you favor. Yeah, it's unmerited. <laughs> you, but you merited something terrible. And God is giving you this gift that you don't deserve it at all. The doctrine of grace, the truth of grace, Jesus came full of grace and truth. What would we know of the grace of God if not for the problem of evil and suffering? It's when he looks at us, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Yes, for us. yes. And he, he gave, he's commended his love toward us. And it's just mind blowing that he would do this. And it's a great verse in Ephesians 2, actually all the verses in Ephesians 2 are great, uh, and all the rest of the Bible too, but verse 7 where it says, in the ages to come, God, and, and now I'm translating literally the Greek in the present tense or the ongoing tense, in the ages to come, God will be revealing unto us mm. the riches of his grace and kindness to us. Mm-hmm. In Christ Jesus, there will be an eternal unveiling of the depths of God's grace. We will never stop exploring God's grace and kindness to us because they are infinite. He is infinite. We are finite. But when we worship, we enter into the worship of the infinite. So in the ages, if you think, okay, so how are you going to view the sufferings of your life, which now seems so overwhelming? How are you going to view them a thousand years from now? How are you going to view them 10,000 years from now, 100,000, 10 million years from now? Will you view them the same way you do now? Well, if we believe the Bible, we believe Romans 8, 28. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, in my life, I have not seen all the good of the bad things that have happened to me. But I have seen a lot of good come out of the bad things that happened to me. One thing I recommend that people do is take a a sheet of paper, and I talk about this in my books on evil and suffering, but take a sheet of paper and write on one side of it all the bad things that have ever happened in your life. And yeah, you may need a couple sheets of paper, Mm -hmm. uh, but whatever you need, just write them out, okay? So now take another sheet or multiple sheets And then write all the best things that have ever happened to you or that you've ever experienced in your life. And after you've done that, then go back and ask yourself, how many of the best things, the good things, the wonderful things I wrote out here would have happened in my life if not for the bad things? And I can directly see as I have done this, Mm. Oh, my word, that's on my list of worst things that ever happened to me. But out of that came numbers of things here that are on my list of best things that Mm. ever have happened to me. 
So what we're doing is we're getting a limited but very real view of the truth of Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love it, to those who are called according to his purpose. Does that include the worst things? Well, Romans 8 is about the worst things. I mean, it's about the curse, yeah. suffering, sin. Yeah. So, so that's exactly what it's about. It's, it's not just God causes good things to work together for good. No, it's the worst things he causes to work for good along with the best things all together. So when we grasp that, then I think, now I go, all right, well, since I see numbers of cases in my own finite life on this earth where I've already seen him bring great good out of suffering and, and sin as well, if I've seen it in these, these other ones that are on the list, it's just a matter of time. One day, I will see Romans 8.28 to have been true of all of them, just yeah. as I see them to have been true of many of them now. And by the way, the older I get, and I turn 67 this month, the older I get, the more I see the good he has brought out of bad things in my life. I remember heartbreaking things that happened when I could no longer be a pastor anymore because I was arrested at abortion clinics for peaceful, nonviolent civil disobedience that was designed after the civil rights movement and, and the, the peaceful protests, but also civil disobedience. They came to garnish my wages. Myself and another pastor had founded this church 13 years after we started this church. It had grown magnificently. The Spirit of God was doing beautiful things. People were coming to Christ. This is what I wanted to do. And suddenly, because of lawsuits from abortion clinics, I had to resign. Otherwise, my income from the church, the church would have had to pay monthly you know, percentage of the garnishment of my wages to an abortion clinic. I couldn't allow that to happen. All of a sudden, I'm looking, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now because I was already doing what I wanted to do. And it was a pretty crushing experience. But out of it, God brought eternal perspective ministries. God allowed me the time to write. And I didn't have enough time to write as a pastor, which everybody can sympathize with in ministry <laughs> with. You know, I just didn't have the time. And he brought all these good things out of it. Okay, but if the bad thing hadn't happened, then God couldn't have worked the bad thing for good. And it's very much, um, and I'll finish this aspect of this particular question with this, is it was very much Genesis 50, verse 20, which is really the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. Joseph looks at his brothers and said, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good to save many lives. And one day we will have that eternal perspective that Joseph already had in this life with his brothers. Mm, so good. So, so good. By the way, how many, how many worse things have happened to you than happened to Joseph? I mean, <laughs> betrayed by your brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery mm. as probably a teenager. That is not, that would rank pretty high on the list of terrible things. And then look at the life of Job. Mm. And you say, wow. And if you ask Joseph and Job now with God in heaven, if you had it to do over again, would you, would you ask God to do it differently than he did it? Well, in some ways, you'd, I suppose you could say, my children die. I mean, nobody wants their children to die. But having seen his Redeemer's face, and having been with him, and that was his longing, would he do it indifferently? And then, by the way, you've got Joseph, and you've got Jesus as well, in addition to Job. So they all three start with J, okay? And so you got Jesus, <laughs> and look at him, and look at the evil and suffering he experienced in his life. Was it worth it? Yeah, I think we all say it, it was worth it, and will be worth it for all eternity. Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. You know, it reminds me of the scripture that Paul said, you know, that I may know him, you know, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, you know, and we get, we stop the scripture in our own minds in the power of his resurrection. And we'll run around the church on that one, right. uh, <laughs> depending on your denomination. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, when it comes to the fellowship of his suffering, you know, one thing I've always looked at is that word fellowship there. 
Like you, like if I'm fellowshipping with you, Randy, like we are involved, right? Like we're, we're, we're talking where we're probably having food. We're probably, you know, whatever the case may be, we're very involved. So basically what Paul is saying is also, you know, that I may know him, not just in the power of his resurrection, but being super involved in his suffering. And if we're going to be involved in his suffering, Guys, we're going to, there's going to be some things in life that is going to come to us and it's just going to, it's going to kick us, right? And pretty hard, you know, and I, you know, I've always said this at funerals of people who, you know, if I've preached to funerals and, and last year I had to preach a funeral of my godson who was 21 who committed suicide. And I remember sitting in my office that I'm sitting in right now and just saying, God, what, like, like, I, I know I was going to be called to preach this funeral. What do you do? Like, what, what do you expect me to say? Like, I don't, I don't know what to say to these people, right? And, I, and I'm a Christian, and I love God, and I all the things, right? But I still sat here and said, God, you are going to have to download a sermon because I don't have one. Like, it, you know, and, and just like God, it's exactly what he did. Miraculously, I mean, he gave me something I would have never done you know, a sermon I would have never done. But I remember, you know, talking to his mom and I said, you know, one of the reasons why this seems so otherworldly for you to be sitting here looking at your 21-year-old son when he knew he had all of the people around him. Me and my wife would have gave our lives for him. You know, he lived with me for a long time. We rate, you know, and, 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 and I'm thinking he could have just called me and I'm looking at this casket and seeing him so young, life ahead of him. And I said to myself, I said, you know, and I said to his mother, I said, you know, one of the reasons why this looks so crazy is because we were never intended the way God created the world. We were never intended to experience this. So the fact that we're experiencing it. It, there is, there's no box to put it in. There's no category. It's just evil. It's just bad. It's just yeah. ugly. Like there's nothing, you know, and, and, and the only thing we have is the hope of redemption with our beautiful savior who says at the end of the day, you know what? I know that you made this mistake in the garden and, and you've caused this for the rest of the world. But listen, if you will just believe and trust me, I'm going to redeem all of this, right? You know, and then yeah. that that leads into your book, Heaven, right? Which we, gosh, we, we don't obviously can't talk about that today, but um, people need to go get that book too. Um, but it, so I just, just saying that as, as, you know, just adding on to what you were saying there, which is amazing. I was just, I was saying, I like that you brought up Romans 8, 28, because I feel like just like certain words can be like overused. I think especially for the believer, I think Romans eight twenty eight, it could just be overused. And I, I said this yesterday to our congregation, but I, I looked at my wife while talking and I said, there are plenty of times where I question God and it's almost a prideful question. And it actually might just be a prideful question. And I say, God, I love your teenagers. Well, I serve you in a church. I've taken pay cuts. I've financially taken it. And, and I can list all these things out to God and then say, God, why me and my wife? Like, why do we have to go through? And I think there's a, there's a surf and that's very surface level of me to do that. It's also very fleshly of me to do that. And I'll admit that I have no problem in that, but I, that's a human nature. And I think especially for a believer to say, why is this bad stuff happening to me? Well, Romans eight twenty eight it alludes to the fact that bad things are going to happen. <laughs> like the, that is the part of living here, living now. But, and like the quote I said yesterday, God's moving behind those scenes. And I love, I love Randy that you said, put the list out. Cause I don't think I've ever done that. I've compared the list without actually putting the list out with an intention of saying what's come out of it. I've said, here's all the good things that happened to me. Here, well, here's all the bad things that have happened, but I've never intersected those, that list and said, but here's why the good things have happened. Right. And the it, connection between the bad. Yeah. Things and, so, yeah. And I just thought you said that and I'm like, I, I'm not so sure I would trade the bad things in anymore. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, right. I would almost go through those again to make sure that that good thing did happen. And we don't see that on the front end, but that's where our faith, man, that's where yeah, our faith, 
Fate's the keyword. Yeah, it has to be. It's tested and tried, but it has to be strength and intended to because if our faith doesn't get us through those moments, we don't experience those things. And so I just right. thought that was such a and powerful. It's so kind of God to give us even the limited times where we see, yeah, there was great goodness that came out of that, mm-hmm. as bad as that thing was. Greg Laurie's a friend of mine. And when Greg's son, Christopher, years ago, died in a terrible traffic accident and it was just so heartbreaking and greg called me because he was familiar with my book heaven and just wanted to talk and i'd never met greg but we became fast friends and had numbers of phone calls about dealing with that loss so one of the things he said and i quote from him and if god is good and a couple of other books on this but he said you know i preached many messages about heaven i mm-hmm. spoke in many memorial services but when my son died in that accident, it all became real to me. And this is the thing. I have a dear friend, my closest friend other than my wife, Steve, just a year and a half ago, his uh, youngest son died in his house of a drug overdose. And for a pastor who had poured, he and his wife, dear friends of ours, had poured themselves into him. The tragedy of that. And that's where what you said about Romans 8, 28 being overused. And what I tell people is this, use Romans 8, 28 with people in the right time, not before. You don't come to somebody whose daughter was just diagnosed with this fatal disease and say, hey, you know, no worries. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good, you know, so... Like it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. That is absolutely wrong and inappropriate. Now, the truth is Romans 8.28 remains true even when it's used with insensitivity. Yeah. But we shouldn't use it with insensitivity. We should just put our arms around people. And by the way, you know, we were talking about Job before, you know, early in the book of Job where it's got his uh, three friends before the fourth one ends up joining them. But the three friends... They come together and it says, was it a week or two weeks or something like that? They were together and they were silent. Mm -hmm. Now, when his friends were silent, they were at their best. Yeah. Yeah. They just gathered around Job and just mourned and wept, I assume, with them. They, They were in his company and seeing his tears, the loss of all those children and loss of other things, too, none of which compared to the loss of your children and multiple children, and they were quiet. And then they started talking. And once they started talking, then it was all this flourishes of self-righteousness, and you must have sinned. God is judging you for your sin, which is really what you want to heap on a friend, right? (laughs) It's your fault. (laughs) And and no, it, it wasn't his fault. He was more righteous man than anyone. But I think the sensitivity to others in their need and in their desperation, we should come to them in that way. And yes, use Romans 8.28, but wait until the time is right and you sense it's time. Yeah, so, so true. So true. Randy, you, you, you talk also about some of the responses that people have to the problems of evil and, and all of this. And, you know, they, they, you know, some people say there must not be a God or God has limited goodness or God has limited knowledge. Could you just expound briefly on those things uh, on, and one or all of them, whatever you want to do there. But, you know, and, and, and these are human responses, obviously, you know, cause we're trying to make sense of everything. But, but what would you say if somebody said, you know, well, there must not be a God or he, if he is, he must have limited goodness or he, he doesn't know everything. What would you, what would you say to those things? Yeah, I would just say we always as human beings attempt to explain from our finite perspective. And so when it comes to God, we go, well, I mean, cause my brain is the final court of judgment, right? And so in my brain, if God was all good and God was all knowing and God was all powerful, then he simply would not allow these things to happen. These things clearly are allowed to happen 
So as you say, if there was a God, then he must be limited in his love. And so now we're going to limit God's love. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in he went to the cross for us. I mean, if you're talking limited love with God, there's something wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. like the nail prints and the hands that we're going to see yeah. for eternity will declare this God of incredible love and grace. Or are we going to limit his knowledge, which is what open theism does? And I deal with open theism in the book where it's like, okay, this is really supposed to help people now because they go, well, God didn't know this terrible thing was going to happen mm-hmm. to your child. Mm-hmm. Oh, so isn't that a great comfort? And uh, one of the guys who writes books on this says, so I explained this to a woman that God didn't know in advance this was going to happen to your child. and she broke down in tears and and it helped her so much because now she felt like I can't blame God for this. He didn't know. Oh, this poor helpless God who didn't know. Mm-hmm. And and now we can feel sorry for him and not resent him. Or I, and this is not God anymore. This is right. not the God of the Bible. Right. Or he's limited in his power. Okay, God has given the human race free choice, which means really his hands are tied. Mm-hmm. Um no. Our limited choice, rather than free choice, uh, the, the term that I like to use is meaningful human choice. And in one of my books, this one, Hand in Hand, I, I deal with the problem of the, the, the free will sovereignty problem. Well, it's a problem, but the point is you can't solve the problem by reducing the power, the love, the wisdom, the knowledge the sovereignty of God. If you do that, you don't have the God of the Bible anymore. He's, he has disappeared. And you may feel like, oh, well, this makes me feel better, which by the way, it doesn't make me feel better at all to think with the bad things that have happened in my life, where I get a moment's consolation to believe that God didn't know that was going to happen yeah. or that somehow God's hands were tied. Right. On the contrary. Right. Yeah, um, I, I mean, Spurgeon said, and I'm pretty old. I didn't personally know Charles Spurgeon, but you know, <laughs> Spurgeon said, Spurgeon said, when people tell me that I should take comfort in the fact that God was either unaware of or because of human free choice, he couldn't do anything to stop that man who committed the rape, who murdered a loved one, all this. And And that somehow the physical ailments, and Spurgeon had extensive physical sufferings, gout and many, many other things, and extremely painful. And he he sometimes could not get up in the pulpit and, and, and had to sit down and just couldn't make it through life without getting away sometimes from his preaching. And and he said, if I thought God's hand was not in my suffering, I would lose hope completely. Mm-hmm. And in other words, in your time of crisis, in my okay, if right now I didn't believe that God was fully sovereign over my wife's stage four cancer that we have been praying for three and a half years that he would heal her completely, that's our prayer every night, every day. If I didn't believe in the sovereignty of God and that regardless of whether he takes her sooner or later, we know she's going to die. I'm going to die. Our children are going to die. Our grandchildren are going to die. Everybody's going to die unless Christ returns in our lifetime, which so far you may have noticed he never has returned in anyone's lifetime. He may and he may not. But to say that I am laying claim to a healing because somehow I just can rest this rest with a W R E, you know, out of the hands of God and just just make God do this thing and take verses out of context. You know, he doesn't promise we will never die. He promises right. we will. die. If right. I didn't believe in the sovereignty of God in my wife's illness, I would, I'd lose hope. I, I, I might become one of those, ex-evangelicals. I might become one of those people who doesn't trust God anymore. I do trust him. I trust him more today than I have ever trusted him with Mm. all the evil and suffering I have seen in the world. I trust him more now than I ever have. Mm. 
you just hit on something and it was a question I was going to ask a little bit later, but let's, let's, let's address it right now. So, and this is where I get in trouble. This is where I get in trouble and it's okay. I'm willing to be in trouble for the truth. There is a destructive theology in the church today that says, if you have enough faith, God is going to, on this side of heaven, heal you. You know, it's this health, wealth, prosperity gospel, you know, that, that, that God, you're the center of God's story instead of God being the center. And, and I've always said that faith is only as good as the object in which it's placed, right? So you can't have faith in faith. So when you say, well, I just got to have enough faith, I'm going to decree and declare that I, this person's going to be healed no matter what, because this is God's will for this person to be healed. And I used to be that guy 20 years ago. I mean, I would spit and scream and, and declare, decree and all of these things and say, you know what, God, you said in your word and whatever, you know, whatever it was. And one, I was reading scripture wrong. You know, when you, when you look at scriptures that say things like, you know, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Here's the, here's what the Bible is supposing that you're doing, that you're reading all of scripture and not taking that particular scripture out of context. Because if you look at that in another passage, it says, you know, anything you ask according to my will, I will do. And so everything has to be subject to the will of God. Now, let me make this very clear for our listeners. Do I believe in miracles? Yes. Do I believe in healing? And and I'm not a cessationist. I, I, I'm not. I, I do. I've seen people, I myself have been miraculously healed. So I understand that. What I am, what, but what I, but talk to us a little about, about this sovereignty of God versus this health, wealth, prosperity gospel and how this hurts the Christian message. Well, first of all, I, I often ask, and I have lots of conversations uh, with people about this in my book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. One of my earlier books that I later revised was the first time I addressed health and wealth gospel and got lots of pushback on that. Uh, but again, like you're saying, I mean, it's just, we have to correct false doctrine. And this one is so powerful and pervasive and persuasive and people hold to it. And it's, it's, it's our biggest export to Africa and to parts of Asia and South America with lots of poverty. And then you have preachers who are living in health and wealth, while the people who can't afford hardly to give anything, are told give more and more and more, and then you'll then be able to partake of healing. And it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's really like the selling of indulgences in the Catholic Church in the time of the Reformation. It's just using the Christian faith as a tool to make money for a limited number of people who, by the way, usually do not tell you when their own family members are dying of cancer. That's right. In other words, they, they, don't, they don't say that because obviously, well, wait. So you, we're praying for your wife. Why are we praying for your wife? And then it's not specifically, so you just pray for her or whatever. And then if she ends up being healed, whether God uses chemotherapy or radiation or whatever it is to help heal her or just directly heals her, then it will be, and God healed her. But if she dies of it, no one talks about it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know if you know Costi Hinn, but he's become yeah. a good friend. Yes. And you know, being Hinn's nephew, and, and you know, there's there is a there is a community of people in prosperity theology who are sincere, but they are sincerely deceived, and most sadly, they are deceiving others. So I, I ask people. So would you just would you just tell me uh, you're in these circles? Could you just give me the name of a few uh, faith healers that are 120 years old or older? Could you just give me their names, right? Because uh, and their email addresses. I'd like to give them a call and ask them how that's you know how they've done that and how that's going, but they don't exist. Right? They don't exist. Okay, so we all know we're going to die. So when we say, I know I'm not going to die this time at this point in my life, why? Why do you know that? 
you know you're going to die. You know some people die young and some people die old, and God has numbered our days. Yeah. Every one of them was known in advance by him. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that it's uncertain in the mind of God. He knows the time. He knows my time. He knows my wife's time. He knows all my family members, all my friends. And last year in the year of COVID, like you guys saw and experienced, um, you know, people continue to die. I was at a point where I couldn't be physically at funerals because my wife was at severe risk of COVID. She had cancer in her mm. lungs that had moved from her colon. She has had 30% of her lungs removed. She's very weak and vulnerable because of all the treatments she's been through. So I couldn't take the risk of COVID because if she got it, it probably, I mean, very likely would have taken her life. So here I am recording multiple messages, I, I, uh, three messages in two weeks at our church of people who I was very close to who had died. And, and I go, what a world we live in. Look at the curse. It's not only taking people's lives, it's preventing us from showing up at their services. It's not allowing us to visit a loved yeah. one who's probably going to die very soon that's in a home where they weren't allowing anyone in from the outside. It's a reminder that this world is not the world God designed it to be. And so do not be surprised, it says in Peter, do not be surprised, brethren, at the fiery ordeal you are experiencing as though something strange were happening to you. That's right. I mean, I love that verse. It's kind of funny, really, as though something strange were, I mean, really? You, this is exactly what you should expect. So what we yeah. do is we take certain verses out of context, put them on our refrigerator, put them on the dashboard, you know, text them to our friends and to ourselves on the cell phone. And we leave out a whole lot of other verses yeah. that have to do with, I mean, even great is your faithfulness. Your, your mercies are new every morning. That's in a book called, lamentations about extreme <laughs> suffering we're all going to go through this so stop lying to yourself and saying you know what you can't know one of the most heartbreaking things i ever experienced as i was doing my background research for if god is good and my smaller books on the problem of your own suffering as well i looked at people who have left the christian faith because god did not heal them and you find a number of these stories on YouTube. And here's a woman dying of cancer. She's on her deathbed. She's looking into a camera and saying, I no longer believe in Jesus Christ because he didn't answer my prayers for healing. Mm. In other words, he promised me something he didn't deliver. And I, just in tears as I watched this, and she had already died by the time I saw it. I said, lady, I don't even know you, but I know this. God didn't break his promises to you. People broke their promises to you. And they were false promises, not solidly based on God's word, but based on verses taken out of context. Like you, I totally agree. God sometimes heals. Mm -hmm. And I also totally know sometimes he doesn't. And you know what? God has answered my prayers to heal someone when I had less faith than other times where I had what I thought was complete yes. faith yes. that he would heal a dear friend of yeah. mine who had a horrible accident. He was at age 20 impaled on a fence post when he was swinging on a tree branch and came down. It was, it was absolutely horrific. But I knew God was going to heal my friend Greg. I knew he was. I was a young Christian. I'd read the Bible. They're just promises. If you, if you ask in faith, believing, I believed with all my heart, God did not save his life. Mm -hmm. But God also had huge and eternal purposes that I'll one day better understand. But false, I mean, health and wealth gospel, prosperity theology, it's a false doctrine from the pit of hell. It is. I would venture out to say too, when we don't, we don't have biblical literacy, the pressure that should be on God suddenly becomes pressure on mankind. 
And what I mean by that is, is now we're expecting this person to pray this prayer that's going to heal us because signs and wonders should follow those who are filled with the Spirit. I mean, we've got that belief that, and what happens is I've been in a situation where I'm praying over somebody and it's almost as if they feel like the prayer I'm going to say is going to heal them. You know what I'm saying? And it's because we just expect God to heal them. And I know deep down, I'm like, and I pray this, this is like my scapegoat prayer. God, do your will in this person's life. Because I don't know what God's will is. I don't know if it's going to be the heal the person or if it's not going to be the heal the person. Or in in any situation, obviously, Lord, this is what we desire. And this is the desire of our heart that you restore this situation, that you heal this person. But God, I want your will done in this person's life. Ultimately, I don't want to pray against his will either. And so that's where I feel like at times, the fact that we don't understand the full scripture about a situation, we put the pressure on man and the pressure was never supposed to be on us to begin with. Right. Yeah. I've literally had people say to me, if you're going to pray the will of God over my life, don't pray for me. Because that I literally people have said that to me because they say, you know, because I know what that means, you know, and I and I'm thinking to myself, like, you don't want the will of God. And they literally said to me, if the will of God means that I'm not going to be healed or I don't get the things that that's been promised to me in the scripture, well, then I don't want you to pray over me. And my thing is, you know, we look at these these, you know, some things how like, you know, you know, the book, you know, your best life now. And I, and I think about that and I go, if your best life is now, you must be looking forward to going to hell, not heaven. Because anybody who's having their best life right now is totally, totally out of pocket when it comes to heaven and what heaven is about. And I know, and I get in trouble with this and it's not again that I don't believe in the power of God, but it, right. it's, it's, I believe in the sovereignty of God. And I believe in seeking the face of God, not the hand of God, because that if I'm seeking the face of God, I am going to understand the true nature of God. How in the world would we understand the nature of God and his character if we go to him and he's a genie and everything that we decree and declare is going to happen happens? That unfortunately makes us God. And we've been proven that if we try to be God, it doesn't work out well, right? Just look at our government, right? I mean, it just doesn't work out. So again, I think we just have to humble ourselves and not say, well, you know, these people, they must be Baptists or they must be this or that, or they must be Calvinists or they must be whatever. Get back to scripture. I don't care what denomination you are. There is nowhere in scripture where God says that he is going to heal you no matter what this side of heaven. You're going to be rich this side of heaven, right? He said, the poor you will always have with you. He also, you know, and, and that one other scripture, and I'll, I'll be done, um, but the one other scripture that people use so much is they use that scripture that says, you know, or they'll say, I'll, we're going to call those things as not as though they were, okay? So they, you can call it, you can call it. Here's the problem. Read the scripture again. It says, God, who calls those things that be not as though they were. Last time I checked, we are not God. And no, we're not little G gods. And no, we none of that stuff you hear is right. It's just not biblical. It sounds good. And I sometimes, Randy, just like you, I wish I could just speak and something happens. And I've always said, why is it that I can't speak? I have $10 million. That seems to never show up in my bank account. I don't care how many times I declare it, right? But yet all this other stuff's supposed to happen. Exactly. And if we look at, look at the lives of the prophets and apostles whose words are quoted to support prosperity field. How long did they live? How did they die? Um, the apostles. Most of them were murdered, perhaps all but one of them, John being the exception, and he was in exile. Okay, health and wealth gospel. I mean, don't use the words of people who never experienced, most of them, health or wealth. I mean, I mean, look at, look at Paul. Look at his thorn in the flesh. Is, uh, you Galatians, you would pull, take your eyes out and give them me that would hard. See what large letters I write in my own hand. Because he couldn't write his whole letters as yes. literate as 
literate as he was because of apparently an eye problem. It could be other physical disabilities on his part. And, and he's put to death. Mm-hmm. He's murdered. This is not what we would call a happy ending from a human perspective. That's and right. so you're laying claim to their words out of context to support an idea that is foreign to the scriptures, was foreign to their thinking. This is not what they do. I saw a sign the other day that says, I can do all things through verses taken out of context. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it was like, That's I just, funny. I just, I, I went, well, I can do all things through verses taken out. Of context. And it's like, we take these verses out of context, not only the context of the literary context, but the context of their whole lives. You've got these people who are experiencing suffering and it's like the opposite of health and wealth. I mean, how, how much money did the apostles leave behind them for future generations? It wasn't money they left. I mean, right, right. And, and, and obviously, even if some of them were relatively healthy, and we don't know that they were, sure. uh, that health was taken through their persecutions, through their imprisonments, through their mistreatments, and the horrific things done to them. How can we even look ourselves in the face, in the mirror, and obviously we don't and think in these terms, we are misquoting scripture and misapplying it. And worst of all, we are setting up people to lose their faith in God. Yes. Because we're speaking on God's behalf to say these things to them that God himself is not really saying to them. And mm-hmm. so then they lose their faith instead of doing what they should do, which is lose their faith in us. That's right. They should instead, they end up instead losing their faith in God. And that's, that is the worst possible thing we can do. And that's, yeah. that's the, that is the largest part of the ugliness of health and wealth gospel. Absolutely. Yeah. I've always said, Randy, if your gospel doesn't travel, it's not the gospel. Your gospel has to be able to travel. So if you tell me that if I give $1,000 in the next 10 minutes based on whatever chapter and verse 10, 10, and then it's going to, and, and then I'm going to get, I'm going to get 10,000 because of that, because I gave you $1,000, then, you know, right. you, you've got to, that has to work in Africa. That has to work in the Philippines. Right. That's got to, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it's got to work there too, because if that's the way God works, then, and if that's truly the gospel, then it's going to work over there. And I'm going to tell you, those people, and you know this, Randy, you've been all over. Those people don't have 10, some of these people don't have $10, right? I mean, they don't have the things that we have. It's an American gospel. And I would just encourage you, if you are a part of this type of thing, please, I'm not telling you to believe me, Randy or Kyle. What I am telling you to do is pick up your Bible, read scripture, get a commentary, get a Bible dictionary, whatever you need to get. We will help you reach out to us, but you, this is not the gospel. And I understand it seems like things are going well for these people who do that. But again, it's your money that they're using to buy the jets and the, the, the mansions and all the things it's your money. So that's, you know, and I know we got off onto a whole thing there. Bottom line, I would say with this, if you're, if the gospel you believe is more true in America than it is in Cuba or Thailand or Uganda, then it is not the true gospel. It just is. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Randy, one question I, I wanted to ask you, because I know this comes up a lot with people about natural disasters and kind of creation being under that curse, you know, because people look at the hurricanes and the floods and it just wipes out a bunch of people or property, different things like that. Just briefly, just talk to us a little bit about that as it has to do with what we've been talking about today. Yeah, I think we have to look at evil in two different ways. Evil is a moral choice and suffering is a consequence of evil choices. Not always directly. I mean, somebody's born into a world and they have suffering and that doesn't mean that their father or grandfather, you know, committed a sin and that's why they're suffering. 
But it is ultimately the suffering comes from the evil. So the evil is the wrong that ultimately causes all suffering. But what we have to do, I think, in the larger scope of things is learn to see the primary problem is evil. The secondary problem that comes out of the primary problem is suffering. And I think sometimes our problem is that we view suffering as evil. Now, the causing of suffering is doing evil, Mm -hmm. you know, and evil, there wouldn't be suffering without evil, but they're not indistinguishable. And this is why some people, even in health and wealth gospel terms, go, if you're just continuing to be sick, it's because you don't have faith. It's your fault. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's on you. It is Mm -hmm. on you. And this is not how Jesus dealt with people in that regard, and it's not how we should deal with people. But I think if we view evil and suffering in from the, the larger perspective, in the scheme of things in God's plan, we're able to distinguish the difference between the primary and the secondary that comes out of the primary. But then the ultimate promise of God is to wipe away the tears from every eye, because no more sin and no more sorrow, and no more pain. The sorrow and the pain are not evil, but they wouldn't have come into the world without evil. But God brings his healing, not by keeping us from ever suffering, Mm -hmm. but dealing with us and meeting us in our suffering and providing the eternal freedom from suffering. We will never go to the hell if we believe in him to the hell we deserve. Instead, he gives to us forever the heaven, the new earth that we don't deserve, all by his grace. And I think that larger perspective helps me a lot in this problem of evil and suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Well, folks, I tell you, I I, so much here, and there's so much more we, we could get into, but we are out of time for today. But I certainly want you to go and you need to follow Randy. Go to his website. It's just www.epm.org. So that stands for Eternal Perspective Ministries. Go there. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, uh, very active there. Make sure you go follow him. And we just appreciate so much, Randy, you being on and and just talking to our listeners about this this difficult topic that some, sometimes it's just hard to understand. And Thanks so much for making the sacrifice also to be here today. And like I say, folks, it's Randy Alcorn. His books are everywhere. He's, you know, this book that we talked a lot about today is If God is Good. Also, he has the book Heaven and so many, over 50 other books. So please go on Amazon or wherever, go to, to go to wherever books are sold. You can also go to his website as well and get that. Kyle, can you just tell him where to find us? Yeah, you can find us on our social media pages on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are Thinking Out Loud Podcast. On Instagram, you can just add an underscore there. So Thinking Underscore Out Loud Podcast. And listen, we usually advertise days before who we're going to have on the show just to get you mentally ready. And listen, our social media is a dual purpose. It's to advertise, but it's also to communicate. So if you have questions, concerns, you need help getting in touch with somebody, comment on our social media pages. We would love to get in contact with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, thanks so much for being here again today. And we love you. We appreciate you. We will see you next week.